Hi guys, and welcome back to my podcast, After Dark. My name is Allison, and like the title says, in this podcast, we're going to be looking into some of the strange, crazy, and disturbing things people do after dark. This includes things like heists, robberies, murders, serial killers, and more, so if you're interested in stuff like that, stick around. In these cases, we're going to be looking at where, when, and why these crimes were committed, and if the case was ever solved, or if it remains a mystery to this day. I have a bit of a shorter episode for you guys today. In this episode, we're going to be covering the case of Juana Barraza, a female wrestler turned serial killer, earning the nickname the Little Old Lady Killer, or La Mata Vejetas, as she was called in Mexico, after murdering around 50 women, almost all over the age of 60. Juana Barraza was born on December 27th in 1957 in a rural area north of Mexico City. I won't torture you guys by trying to pronounce the actual name. My Spanish classes did not stick very well, so just spare you any of my embarrassing attempts at the language. I will be trying to pronounce people's names the best I can, though. Juana had a pretty sad childhood, which obviously played a role in the killer she would later become. Her mother was an alcoholic, which alone can be very traumatizing for a kid, but on top of that, her mother would exchange her to a man for three beers when she was only 12, and while she was with this man, he would repeatedly rape her, and later she would actually become pregnant with his son. She had four children total, but her oldest died from injuries he got in a mugging, which would be devastating on its own. But with all of these disturbing things happening during her early life while she was still growing and developing as a person, it's easy to understand how that led to her later crimes. It doesn't justify them or mean she shouldn't face any kind of punishment, but I think it's clear to anyone that these things would have affected Juana greatly and changed her as a person. I mean, I can't even believe that her own mother would just give her away like that. That's honestly a horrendous thing to do, especially to your own daughter and only for the reward of a few beers. I generally don't know how any sane person could make that decision without an ounce of regret or guilt, but I guess that's what the alcohol did to her. Later in her life, Juana would work as a popcorn vendor, but she was also a wrestler. Lucha Libre and luchadores are very common in Mexico, with people wearing colorful masks and executing complex, skillful wrestling moves to take down their opponent. Side note, but imagine if today, with the whole pandemic and everything, you went into a store and saw someone in a luchador mask. I've seen a lot of weird masks at my job, but never that. There's still time, though, if anyone would like to come into my store wearing one, I would greatly appreciate it. It would probably make my shift a lot better, actually. Back to the case, though. Juana would often fight in the amateur division for wrestling, where she would earn about 300 to 500 pesos per match which is only around 13 to 20 US dollars. She competed with the name La Dama del Silencio, or the Lady of Silence, which was a reference to her own shy personality. During her childhood, she never actually learned to read, making her basically illiterate, and she would barely talk to her own mother, which I mean, I wouldn't want to talk to her much either with the whole alcoholism and everything. But I guess that carried on to her personality later in life, and that is why she chose her wrestling name. Juana committed multiple other crimes before she moved on to murder, which I feel like is often the case with a lot of serial killers. In 1995, after the birth of her fourth child, she didn't have a lot of money, which I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Four kids cost a lot, and she obviously wasn't getting much from wrestling. 
but to compensate for this, she began stealing from stores and burglarizing people's homes. In 1996, she concocted a plan with her friend Araceli Martinez to rob houses by dressing up as nurses to get access to the homes of older people who lived alone and rob them once inside. Her friend double-crossed her, though. Araceli was in a relationship with Moises Dominguez, a corrupt federal police officer, and they blackmailed her after a solo burglary she did, demanding 12,000 pesos in exchange for not arresting her. And that's actually only about 540 US dollars, which is not a lot, but I'm not going to tell them how to extort people. I would rather not have the Mexican police after me. In 2000, Juana retired from wrestling, so she lost that little bit of income she was earning from there, and her financial situation became a lot more desperate. Juana Braza's first victim was Maria de la Luz Gonzalez Anya who she killed on November 25th, 2002. Juana entered her apartment and then beat and strangled Maria to death after she made comments that Juana found derogatory. After her first murder, Juana didn't kill again for three months. Maybe she was remorseful and regretted what she did, or maybe she was just biding her time waiting for her next opportunity. We aren't completely sure. After those three months, though, her crimes quickly increased and the amount of time between them decreased a lot. She would approach her victims, all elderly women on the street, wearing white to pose as a social worker or city council nurse to gain her victims' trust. She would later acquire a nurse's uniform, which helped further her ruse. After gaining entry into their homes by offering massages or medicinal help, she would then outright strangle her victims if they were distracted. If not, she would beat them first using moves she learned in wrestling and then strangle them. She did carry a medical bag with her as part of the disguise, which did contain supplies and tools, but she never used those for killing, opting instead for strangling her victims with her bare hands or using something in the victim's house, which she would then leave behind when she left. Usually female serial killers choose less violent or messy methods of killing, opting for things like poisoning or drowning, so the fact that Juana purposely strangled her victims with her own hands really makes me think she went through very traumatic things as a child and that those greatly affected her and maybe made her more violent. And maybe that's why she became a wrestler as a way to kind of channel that anger. Like I mentioned earlier, she was struggling financially, so after killing the elderly woman, she would also rob and even keep some of their items as trophies which I'm sure most of you know is classic serial killer behavior. In about mid-2005, Juana began a relationship with Jose Francisco Torres Herrera, who was a taxi driver with the alias The Bean for some reason. I mean, if you're going to pick an alias, I don't know why you wouldn't choose something cooler, but I guess The Bean is just what he went with. <laughs> He came into the picture and actually helped Juana with the murders, not try and stop her, and it seemed like he enjoyed them too because when they were together, the amount of murders had increased a lot. Jose also had a part in changing when the murders happened. While on her own, Juana often killed during the day, which would help her story of being a nurse, but it's also very risky because there'd be a lot more potential eyewitnesses at the time. With Jose though, they started killing at night. The pair killed 82-year-old Carmen Camila Gonzalez-Miguel on September 28, 2005, 
which is what led to an extensive investigation and search by the Mexican police because Carmen was an upper-class woman and the mother of Luis Rafael Moreno Gonzalez, a well-known criminologist who, I'm assuming, pushed the police for more involvement and justice for his mother. For a while, police were searching for a male suspect, which is fair on their part. The majority of serial killers are men, and the nickname El Matavijetas, the L suggesting a male killer, probably made them a bit biased. After a few of Juana's kills, there were multiple eyewitness accounts that stated the suspect was tall, with rough factions who was posing as a nurse to gain the trust of the elderly. The police were reluctant to share this profile, though, because there was a lot of inner turmoil going on between the Mexican federal government and the capital city council. The government blamed the city council because violent crimes had gone up, and they had recently implemented public health care for the elderly, and now a murder was attacking elderly women, posing as a city nurse. The city council did not like these accusations, though, and denied the existence of El Matavijetas and accused the government media of sensationalism. With so much tension, when the police finally released wanted posters, they had two images, one of a more female-looking sketch and another more masculine-looking one. There's no mention of the clothing they wore, and they're only labeled as persons of interest, not a murderer. So the majority of the public was still largely unaware of what was actually happening and who they're really looking for. It wasn't until a year later that the police finally admitted to the existence of a serial killer. After the murder of Carmen Camila Gonzalez Miguel is when the police started to treat Juana's presence as a serial killer more urgently. They launched a special operation called Operation Parks and Gardens, which I'm not really sure why it's named that, but they increased officer patrols in areas where the killer was most active, which is probably something they should have done in the first place when they realized the patterns of killings, but oh well, hindsight is 2020. They also distributed pamphlets to the elderly, warning them not to be so trustworthy of strangers, passed out new sketches, and even paid elderly women to act as baits in parks, which maybe where the parks and Operation Parks and Gardens comes into play. But paying people to act as bait doesn't seem like a very good thing to do to me. Purposely putting the lives of those elderly people in danger could help them catch a killer, yes. But they're also opening up the possibility that they sent those women into the parks to die and the police don't even catch the killer. A little money doesn't seem worth the risk of being strangled and killed to me. The police also released a statement, which couldn't be further from the truth, might I say, stating that they were looking for a homosexual transgender man who they believed were dressing up in women's clothes to fool their victims and gain their trust. This led to the wrongful arrest of 49 transvestite prostitutes, who were thankfully all released when the prints didn't match any of those found at the crime scenes. They also asked French police for help, believing that El Matavijitas was similar to French homosexual serial killer Thierry Paulin, the monster of Montmartre. I don't know how to pronounce that French name, but he also murdered elderly women and was possibly responsible for the death of over 20 people. In October of 2005, there was a break in the murders that actually caused police to think the killer had committed suicide. Juana's fatal mistake, though, would come a few months later on January 25th, 2006, when she was seen leaving the murder of landlady Ana Maria de la Reyes Alfaro, and she was detained by passing patrol. When they searched Juana's house, they found a room filled with the trophies she had taken from her victims and newspaper clippings about the murders. 
She also had an altar dedicated to Jesus Malverde and Santa Muerta, two common folk saints that a lot of criminals actually worshipped. The former being a supposed angel of the poor and Robin Hood-like figure, and the latter being the Lady of Holy Death, a personification of death associated with healing, protection, and safe passage to the afterlife for her worshippers. The police had Juana posed next to the eyewitness sketches police had distributed, which the public was not a fan of. They took it to mean that the police had been on the right track to catch her all along, but in reality, she had been at the police station previously, and only a week before her arrest, she was interviewed on TV about her wrestling, and no one suspected her at all. <laughs> in the spring of 2008, Juana Barraza was tried for 30 murders, of which she was only found guilty of 16 and guilty of 12 robberies. I'm sure she would have been tried for more of her crimes and murders, but they only proceeded with cases where they had strong fingerprint evidence connecting her to the crime. It's thought that she killed up to 49 people, but during her arrest and trial, she only admitted to one murder, the killing of Ana Maria de los Reyes El Faro, who she strangled with a stethoscope and would tell police that she was motivated by her deep-rooted anger regarding how her own mother treated her as a child. So I'm assuming that Ana Maria reminded Juana of her mom and those old memories resurfaced and she believed the best way to protect herself and get over those memories was to use Ana as a surrogate for killing her own mother. She was sentenced to 759 years in prison, a very long sentence, but will be paroled regardless in 2058 when she would be 100 years old if she even lives to see that day. While it's interesting to look at these cases and we mostly focus on the killer, who they were and what they did, I think it's important that we don't forget about the victims of those killers. They deserve to be remembered, so I'm going to list off all of the victims of Juana Barraza. In 2003, she killed Guillermina Leon Oropesa, 84, Maria Guadalupe Aguilar Cortina, 86, Maria Guadalupe de la Vega Morales, 87, Maria del Carmen Munez Cote de Galvan, 78. Lucerisa Elsa Calvo Maraquin, 85. Natalia Torres Castro, 85. And Elisa Coda de Coin, 76. In 2004, she killed Alicia Gonzalez Castillo, 75. Andrea Ticante Carreto, 74. Carmen Cardona Rodea, 76. Socorro and Dania Martinez Parajas, 82. Guadalupe Gonzalez Sanchez, 74. Estela Cantoro Trejo, 85. Delfina Gonzalez Castillo, 92. Maria Virginia Zelhutzi-Tispan, 84. Maria de los Angeles Cortez Reynoso, 84. Margarita Martel Vasquez, 72. Simona Badello Ayala, 79. Maria Dolores Martinez Benavides, 70. Margarita Arandondo Rodigos, 83. And Maria Imelda Estrada Perez, 76. In 2005, she killed Julia Vera Duplan, 60. Maria Elena Mendoza Valares, 59. Maria Elisa Perez Moreno, 76. Arturo Patino Barranco, 74. Carolina Robledeo, 79. Ana Maria Velasquez Diaz, 62. 
Celia Vilales Morales, 78. Maria Guadalupe Nunez Almanza, 78. Julia Vargas, 64. Mario Cruz Flores, 84. Emma Armenta Aguayo, 80. Emma Reyes Pena, 72. Carmen Sanchez Serrano, 76. Dolores Concepcion Silva Calva, 91. Maria del Carmen Camila Gonzalez Miguel, 82. Guadalupe Oliver Contreras, 85. And Maria de los Angeles Reper Hernandez, 92. And finally, in 2006, she killed Ana Maria de los Reyes Alfaro. That's all for the case of La Matavijitas, or The Little Old Lady Killer. The information in this podcast was taken from allthatsinteresting.com, Wikipedia, and criminalminds.fandom.com. And if you like this episode, these sources had some information that I chose not to include. And they cover lots of other true crime stories and other topics. If you're interested, I recommend you check them out. Once again, thank you for listening to my podcast, After Dark. My name is Allison, and I hope you all have a great day, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.